You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you're a 415 you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. It's Evan Giddings, it's Mark Grandy. Mark, don't piss me off this episode, okay? I swear, all right? I'm in a good mood. I promise. Just keep me that way, okay? How are you doing? Uh, no promises. Uh, I, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I don't know. I might say something that hits you wrong, and it could be a long episode. But no, all jokes aside, I'm doing well, Evan. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty good, yeah. Feel free to not stick a spear between my ribs at any point, verbally uh, or physically, <laughs> of course, across this episode. No, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. It's, it's a nice mid midweek offseason. It's our first episode of the week. Um, we've pretty much figured out at this point we're going to try and be getting the episodes on Tuesday and Thursday. And next week, March 15th, or pardon me, in a couple weeks, March 15th is when free agency officially starts for the NFL. So we're going to be ha- having a lot of... Um, Free agency previews coverage coming your way in the coming episodes starting on Thursday. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, anything pretty much goes in the offseason with the NFL as far as news, 49ers are related, as well as league-wide related that could affect San Francisco. So be on the lookout for that as well. But where we want to start is with the internal free agents for the San Francisco 49ers, Mark. And look, there's a long list of guys uh, that will be you know, available. Their services will be available for hire officially on March 15th. But really, the, the two main guys to me that stand out of impact and that the 49ers in all likelihood will miss and probably could impact next season would be both Jimmy Ward as well as Mike McGlinchey. I don't know if you see it differently to me, but those would be the two guys that are the, I guess, names that most 49ers fans would probably be familiar with that won't be back next year. Yeah, uh, potentially won't be back. I, I think there is a chance that the Niners bring maybe one or both of them back. But if they do that, then some of the other names further down the list might be a little bit of an issue. So you, I think you're 100% right. Those are kind of the, uh, I don't know, the the swing players. I do think there are ways for the 49ers to work around potentially not getting uh, either of those two guys back, Jimmy Ward or Mike McGlinchey. Um I I do think the Niners can make up for, say, for example, not getting Jimmy Ward back. And Jimmy Ward has spent his entire career with the 49ers, the longest tenured 49er on the roster this past season, uh, played most of his career as a safety, but this year uh, was asked to play nickel corner and did a pretty good job playing nickel corner, Evan. And, you know, there's a lot of talk. I know he's talked about it, whether or not in a contract year that hurt. Uh, you know, his future earning potential, or or maybe it helped. He's showing some position versatility. 
maybe that convinces some other team that he's worth a little bit more, not necessarily because he's a better nickel corner than a safety, but because he allows a defense to be multiple and to give, you know, opponents multiple looks. So, so maybe that does end up helping him. I'm not so sure. Um, but I do think, Evan, the Niners can survive moving on from Jimmy Ward. Not saying they want to, not saying they will, but let's just say someone else offers Jimmy Ward a, a larger contract than the 49ers are willing to give. Where would the Niners pivot to? I think it's a relatively easy pivot. One of their other free agents is Emmanuel Mosley, who, as you remember, went down with that torn ACL towards the beginning of the season that road win against the Carolina Panthers. Up to that point, he had a pretty good season. The Niners have tended to uh, try to get bargains on the free agent market by going after players that are coming off of relatively serious injuries. And I feel like this is another area where that will happen with Emmanuel Mosley. I think the likelihood has increased since he already was a Niner and they know who he is and they've been around his entire rehab process. But when you consider what Diamador Lenore did as well for the 49ers this year, I think the Niners would be comfortable moving Diamador Lenore to a nickel corner spot, thereby replacing Jimmy Ward's spot and have Emmanuel Mosley as their starting corner opposite of Mooney Ward. So I do think that Jimmy Ward... While the Niners would love to have him back, I do think he's a little bit expendable. That does rely on them getting Emmanuel Mosley or someone like Emmanuel Mosley back, Evan. But I do think there's a relatively easy way for the 49ers to adjust to potentially losing Jimmy Ward. And I can't quite say the same thing for Mike McGlinchey because th there's probably not many options out there that are better than Mike McGlinchey. And I know Niner fans might be grimacing as I say that because he has kind of a hot and cold relationship with 49er fans. But I do think it might be harder to find a better replacement at right tackle than it might be to find one at corner, nickel corner, or, or even safety. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. Of course, some other names. Uh, the biggest one is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. He's probably also gone. <laughs> um, Samson Ebukam. We're looking at Aziz Al-Shair, Daniel Brunskill, Hassan, Hassan Ridgeway, um, Deshaun Gibson, who came on as kind of a, you know, a prove-it deal for him at the safety spot. Jordan Willis, also an unrestricted free agent. These are just lists of names that had an impact on this season that the 49ers will have to make decisions about. Jake Brendel as well on the offensive line. Um, maybe people will be happy to see this player go, but even a player like Tyler Croft is going to be a, a free agent as well. I think, I think you bring up the most interesting point, which is, okay, which one will they miss the most out of all of these guys? Some they will be able to bring back, but I am 100% with you that Mike McGlinchey, and a lot of people may not realize it until next season, but his presence will be missed on the offensive line. I think that Mike McGlinchey has become synonymous with certain plays that stand out, whether it be because of social media or highlights that are remembered in, an, in a negative fashion by fans. And so that he kind of gets associated with those plays. But Mike McGlinchey is, was a great run blocker this past year. And I know that pass blocking had been a bit of an issue for him in the past, but he was not as bad as I expected heading into this season. And he was a big reason that that offensive line, which was one of our major concerns heading into last year, Mark, was middle of the pack to in the upper middle of the pack as far as often keeping their quarterbacks relatively safe. 
I know, of course, two quarterbacks getting injured would debunk that theory. But in my opinion, that wasn't because of the offensive line play. Mike McGlinchey is going to command a lot of money because there's simply not a lot of offensive linemen out there that are available. The other big tackle name is Orlando Brown with Kansas City. So for me, if I'm looking at the offensive line for the Niners, which obviously needs help and needs to be addressed if they want to compete at a higher level than they did last year. To me, even though McGlinchey is not, in my opinion, going to be back next year, that's going to be something that they'll miss. And the safety position, I think Jimmy Ward and his leadership will be missed next year in the locker room. Of course, being the guy that has been around for the longest period of time, being willing to do something like switching positions midseason, like you mentioned, despite being injured, despite putting his body on the line. But a guy like Mike McGlinchey, his absence, I think, will be applauded when he's officially signed by whatever team and who knows if he'll be fantastic moving forward but I do think his absence next year is going to be one that will be felt by a team that already has kind of some question marks moving forward at the offensive line I agree with you I I think that there will be a a portion of Niner fans who when McGlinchey does sign elsewhere I think that's probably what's going to happen unless he's willing to take a little bit of a discount to say with the 49ers and, and who knows what Mike McGlinchey feels, but I, I think he'll get more somewhere else than he'll get from the 49ers. And then it'll be up to him. Does he value this organization and this situation or does he value, you know, getting some more money for him and his family? It, for most people, it's a pretty easy decision. We'll see what the decision is for Mike McGlinchey. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I think it's likely that he ends up somewhere else. And maybe in the moment, Niner fans think to themselves, all right, you know, that's not the worst thing that could happen. He was, he was not the greatest pass protector. Uh, you know, how many times did our quarterbacks get sacked, you know, with, with rushes coming from the right side of that offensive line, which is anchored by that right tackle and Mike McGlinchey. We'll move on. We'll improve. We'll get better from there. It's not quite that simple. You're going to have to go and get someone else. You do have a little bit of depth on the offensive tackle already in-house, but for the most part, it's young and proven, and that's what your offensive line is for the most part as well. There are other spots on the offensive line to consider. Center at Jake Brendel, are you going to retain him? What's going to happen there? So there are already other questions on the offensive line, right tackle might be another. And maybe there will be some who kind of change their tune about Mike McGlinchey once you get into the 2023 season. I'm not saying that McGlinchey is an all-pro or deserves to be considered one of the greatest you know, right tackles in the game. I do think he's kind of in the unfortunate position where he's being compared to his 2018 draft mate and collegiate teammate, Quentin Nelson, Uh, one of the guards for the Indianapolis Colts, who's been incredible since he's been in the NFL. He was drafted a few picks ahead of Mike McGlinchey, and I know they play different positions, but because they're from the same school, they both went in the top 10 of the 2018 NFL draft, and they're both offensive linemen. It's kind of the easy comparison, and that's tough to live up to if you're Mike McGlinchey because Quentin Nelson, the moment he stepped into the league, was one of the best offensive guards in football. So, uh, kind of a, a tough billing for Mike McGlinchey to live up to. He certainly hasn't been perfect. He has had his bad moments, um, but he's a big reason why this Niners team has been able to run the ball well for much of his tenure here. So while I, I think that there's uh, an easy, not necessarily easy, but there is a way for the 49ers to move on and, and fill in 
some holes from other free agent spots, Evan. Uh, it, it might be tough at right tackle, but even more so than that, I'm just curious to see how they try to tackle that opening because the offensive line, while it wasn't terrible this most recent year, uh, they certainly had their moments of breakdowns, and the middle three is already pretty young. You're anchored by Trent Williams on the left, who's getting up there in age. I'm not so sure you can just give this to to another youngster you already have on your roster, unless there's someone that's totally flying under the radar. This require someone from the outside and a move Niners to make. We'll see what they do, but if Mike McGinchy is to leave, I'd be really interested in, interested in seeing how the team tries to address that because I'm not so, so sure the answer is in-house already. Well, technically it's not, but I think a guy like Colt McKivitz, who is a restricted free agent, is probably the immediate solution unless, like you said, they go out and address it. But I feel like if you are going out to get a tackle, then why not look at a guy like McGlinchey? Well, the answer is because McGlinchey is also going to be sought after because a lot of the NFL runs similar stuff to what Kyle Shanahan does up front. And so it, it's not necessarily a plug and play situation, but he's going to be more of a seamless fit in other spots. And that I think will also drive up his asking price to the point where the 49ers aren't necessarily cash strapped, uh, but obviously have some financial decisions to make will not be able to match that. I, I will say this. I do like the idea of, you know, you're talking about the middle three guys, and I know Brendel's a free agent. I, I, I personally would like to see him back, even though I know he's not, you know, Alex Mack or, or anyone before him. Um, I do like the idea of building a young offensive line together, the combination of Spencer Burford, Aaron Banks, having the chance to grow together, create chemistry and build even if individually all of them are of the likes of a Quentin Nelson, you know, or of Travis Frederick, or, or one of these great offensive linemen that we hear about all the time that are applauded and, and deservedly so. To me, the 49ers are in a situation where they are trying to retool on, on in the trenches on both sides of the football, but specifically the offensive line. I do believe that maybe they're able to make up some of that ground by having guys that have learned how to play together as much as build as individuals. And I, I think that'll help them moving forward because we saw the jump that a guy even like Aaron Banks made from his rookie season to his sophomore season. Spencer Burford was in a lot of ways kind of a surprise. And, and I believe that they can continue to make progress to the point where they are maybe even outplaying their rookie contracts next season. Well, yeah. And, and then the other name to consider, you know, who might replace a potential, you know, Mike McGlinchey departure? Daniel Brunskill is an, a name that the Niners have kind of thrown along multiple different positions on the offensive line. He's also an unrestricted free agent. Uh, he would certainly be cheaper, much cheaper than Mike McGlinchey. Um, and, you know, Kyle Shanahan has only spoken glowingly of Daniel Brunskill, but I don't know. Are you comfortable giving the right tackle position full time to Daniel Brunskill, who hasn't? played a lot of right tackle. I mean, it's it's been Mike McGlinchey almost alone at right tackle since he was drafted. He's obviously been hurt and, and missed some time, had had an injury, was that last year when he was out for, for a good amount of the year? Um, but beyond that, it's it's essentially been, you know, Mike McGlinchey. He has held down that position for almost his entire career. So I'm not so sure if it's as simple as, all right, saving some money on McGlinchey, signing Brunskill, throwing him there, 
Um, or maybe it's a Colton Lakivitz, like you mentioned. That's certainly an option. It's a cheaper option. Um, but where have the 49ers perhaps, I don't know, not quite, I don't know, put their resources fully in recently? I think it's been the offensive line. Trent Williams obviously is great. And when they acquired him from then at the time, the Redskins, it was a fantastic move to replace Joe Staley after his retirement, after that Super Bowl loss to the Chiefs. That was the, the, the first really big move the Niners had made on the offensive line in, in quite a while. I'm not saying it needs to uh, it needs to be a move on that level of getting the best right tackle in football to pair with the best left, left tackle in football, but I'm not so sure right tackle is a spot you just try to, to plug in with, with anyone that's kind of been a reserve lineman for you over the last few years. I think it might take a little bit more. That's how important that position is. I mean, yeah, they're, they're all honestly, as we saw with three quarterbacks going down this year, every position yeah. is very important up front. I do want to say that I believe that the 49ers have invested draft capital in their offensive line. But like you mentioned, outside of Trent Williams, there hasn't been a lot of perhaps monetary investment. And I also don't think that's probably going to change this offseason. So certainly something probably to keep not. an eye on. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings, as always, follow us on social at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. I'm on social at Giddings 10 at 415ers across all social media platforms. Okay, Mark, uh, there's a story last week that kind of caught my eye, and it sounds like it caught yours too, but uh, Matt Barrows of The Athletic sort of going behind the scenes with, you know, the, the scouting combine coming up and all these Fresh faces getting set to join the NFL ranks and get drafted and evaluated and analyzed, probably more so than necessary. Uh, but one thing that he brought up was the fact that there is kind of this recently new cognitive test that has been implemented for quarterbacks. And it is uh, at least started in 2015, the S2 cognition test. And the reason why it's such a big story is because last year there were two quarterbacks that ranked in the 90th plus percentile range. And of course, one of them was Brock Purdy. And so basically this test is described sort of as a 40 yard dash for your mind. I know a lot of people will drift towards the wonder lick. And in the article, it explains more exactly how it works. But the idea is that you're able to make these quick, impromptu, decisive actions in the blink of an eye. And Brock Purdy, well, from what we saw, scored very well in those categories. And I don't think it's a surprise that once he was thrust into the positions that he was, Barrows referenced specifically the Miami game, being able to handle the amount of all-out blitzes that the Dolphins brought his way with relative ease. Brock Purdy has, you know, translated that cognition test to the NFL. And a lot of guys that have scored well on that test, as Barrows explains, have gone on to have success. They've also tested sort of older quarterbacks that didn't have to take the test when they were drafted. Guys like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Drew Brees scored very high in the test as well. Uh, but Mark, what did you kind of make of this story? And I thought it was fascinating and something that I'm going to be looking forward um, looking to moving forward as far as you know evaluating quarterbacks and how they project. It's it's really interesting information because just to run you through some of like what the the test entails, uh, for example, a series of diamonds flash on a screen for 16 milliseconds each, 16 milliseconds, and every diamond is, is missing a point, either you know the top point, bottom point, left or right point, 
And the subject, in this case, Brock Purdy, has to determine using, you know, the arrow keys on a keyboard, which part of the diamond is missing. Again, they'll they'll flash on the screen for 16 milliseconds and you have to identify quickly what part is missing. Another one, um, an athlete uh, tests how many objects or things an athlete can keep track of at once. So there are 22 figures on the screen and the athlete must locate a specific one as quickly as possible. For example, as Barros writes, the object might be a red triangle embedded in other shapes that are also red. So relatively simple tests, but what you're trying to get at is how quick can the subject, in this case, again, Brock Purdy, how quick can Brock Purdy identify visual information? How quickly can he react to physical stimuli and how quick is his brain at reading and reacting to that and it's pretty easy then to draw a connection to quarterback play at the nfl level how quickly can you see a defensive setup and read what they're going to do how quickly can you identify who's coming on a blitz how quickly can you identify zone against man to man and then when you have a blitzer coming off the right side or Take from the left side, your blind side, if you're Brock Purdy, how quickly are and how able are you to see that out of the corner of your eye while also taking in all your stimuli from down the field and try to find the right passing lane while also avoiding or getting the ball quick out of your hands quick enough before that rusher from your left side gets to you. And that's why this test, the S2 cognition test, is kind of taking off in NFL circles because it's really easy, easily translatable to quarterback play. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, Drew Brees, who uh, who tested really well uh, he, when he came out. This S2 cognition test wasn't around. He did take it in the middle of his career, but but placed really high. Some of the other younger quarterbacks who have taken this during their draft process are Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. Guess what? You might call those the three best quarterbacks in football. Not saying Brock Purdy is there, but there does seem to be a little bit of correlation, and Matt Barrows does kind of break that down, correlation between passer rating and your score on this S2 cognition test. So while it's still kind of in its infancy, Evan, it feels to me, there is a little bit of legitimacy to this, and I'm not sure it'll be too long before this is um, kind of in the football vernacular as much as the Wonderlick is, because it, it does seem like it's it's skills more directly transferable to football than kind of like a, an IQ or a street smart test like the Wonderlick is. Yeah, for example, a guy like Joe Burrow scored in the ninetieth, ninety seventh percentile. <laughs> it's pretty um, good. So, so they say that anything above eighty is considered elite. I am, and. and not to say that Josh Allen is bad quarterback by any means, but what would you say is his like biggest flaw, Mark? Uh, a decision making or or make, throwing too many interceptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was going to lean on decision making as well. So I I, I understand where this test is perhaps <laughs> indicative in the future of guys who can make decisions very quickly. But, of course, it still does come down to the ultimate decision of whether you pull the trigger on those certain spots. And that is where I think Brock Purdy, to me, like that, that is also, I think, his biggest strength. I, I don't look at him as a, a physical specimen by any means, and I still have some concerns as to whether that will allow him to improve 
much as he continues and hopefully uh, his long NFL career. But I do also think that this test at least gives us some insight is into, all right, who has the ability to make those decisions quickly? You know, it's kind of like a hitter being able to, some guys just can't hit a 95 mile an hour fastball. Like they, they just simply do not have the decision, the cognitive ability to make a decision quick enough within 0.2 seconds from the time the ball is released to where it, where you have to make the choice of whether you swing, whether you are able to pull up, where the strike or ball is going to be. That Those kind of things are inherent and I do believe cannot be taught. And that's where I think this test has value, Mark, is it will separate, I think, a lot of quarterbacks from the rest as far as who is able to physically make those decisions in the heat of battle when there's a guy bearing down on you, when you have less than two or three seconds to get the football out, do you know where you need to go with the ball? And then, of course, the next step of that is, will you make the right decision? That, to me, is where Brock Purdy, I'm not saying he's as good as Josh Allen, but I believe he's shown so far in his small sample size to be potentially a better decision maker than a guy of that ilk. As, and that's, to me, where Allen is separated from the likes of, you said, like Mahomes or, or Burroughs. Well, yeah, and I think to Burrow. your point about <laughs> I think to your point about uh, Brock Purdy, and you know he's not this physical, Im- imposing athlete. If he wants to be a, a good quarterback in the NFL, and for sure, if he wants to be mentioned along with a Mahomes and a, and a Burrow and an Allen, he's going to have to be elite in these things that we're talking about because he's not the athlete that those other three guys are really specifically Josh Allen with his running ability, but even Burrow and Mahomes probably less so Burrow, especially after the ACL tear, but still those guys are, are bigger, stronger guys, not necessarily quicker. You know, Brock Purdy has shown some quickness, but those other guys more so Allen and, and even Mahomes probably to a lesser extent Burrow, they are able to get stuff done with more, you know, more ways than, than just through the air with their arm. So if Brock Purdy is going to be a good quarterback in this league, he needs to be great at these cognition-based things. He needs to, to be able to transfer what he showed on this S2 cognition test to the football field, and he would need to do it better than some of these other guys because they have other tools that they can lean on that Brock Purdy just simply doesn't have access to because he's shorter. He's not as strong. He doesn't have as strong of an arm. He needs to be great in the decision-making department while maybe some of these other elite quarterbacks just need to be good at it while Purdy needs to be great at it. So uh, I think to your point, that's where this comes in for Brock Purdy while maybe Josh Allen has struggled a little bit with decision-making, I know this past year was bad in terms of interceptions for him, and it's a big reason why the Bills were kind of hot and cold at times this year. Um, that's where Purdy can maybe make up some ground on some of these others. And again, I'm not saying that he's in that category, but if he wants to have a long career in the NFL, Evan, he has to make his money there because some of these other elite quarterbacks are doing it in other ways that pretty simply can't compete with the other thing that i think is actually a little bit dangerous about this test is that when it comes to a discussion of brain power whether you're talking about cognitive ability decision making anything that involves the mind i do think people are quick to label and as we've learned mark there's no exact science to finding a quarterback like just because brock purdy is 
you know, the 98th percentile in this S2 test <laughs> doesn't mean he's automatically and you know better than say Trey Lance. Like that doesn't make Trey Lance a stupid quarterback. That doesn't make Brock Purdy necessarily a smart quarterback. We saw Brock Purdy make some dumb decisions this year. Like it is going to happen. Now the the amount of those decisions is really where the I think the issue is for a lot of talent evaluators and hopefully where this test can shed some light. So I and and also of course there's there's a bit of a racial component. A lot of minority yeah. quarterbacks have been labeled as not being able to make the right decision or or not be, you know, smart uh, you know, passing the football. I do think there there might be I, I mean, I don't know. We'll find out in probably 10 years as we acquire more of sample size and figure out what this test actually turns into as far as the results on the field in the NFL. But that is where there's maybe one lane where I could see it being a little, I, I guess, flawed or not not flawed, but people could take this and run with it in the wrong direction, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, I'm 100% with you. Uh, and Matt Barrows did a little bit of digging on how did Trey Lance do in this S2 cognition test? And, you know, for legal reasons, uh, the, the implementer of the test can't just come out and, and say what everyone's score was. Some of the others that we know about, like Joe Burrow, for example, he explicitly gave approval and, and permission for his score to be public. And why wouldn't he? He was like in the 95th percentile. Um, but the answer that Matt Barrows got about Trey Lance's score on this S2 cognition test was... He scored well, quote, scored well. So whatever that means, it, it doesn't mean all that much. But I'm with you. There is a, a tendency to, I don't know, you're right, label certain players, whether it's it's on the basis of race, whether it's on the basis of their score on, on some test, if it was a Wonderlick or if it's the S2 cognition test. Uh, so before this be, I mean, it's it's never going to become the end all be all. No one is just going to say, all right, well, he was in the 90th percentile. We're drafting him first overall. Oh, my God, this guy has all the physical tools, but he was only in the 70th percentile. We're not going to draft him in the first round because we're so scared that he can't process information enough. It's never going to get to that point. But before it becomes perhaps this super meaningful thing that teams rely on, you definitely do need. Uh, more of a sample size because it's still in its infancy at this point. There do seem to be some trends that show that there is at least some correlation, but just because there is correlation doesn't mean it's a straight line and it's always right hundred percent of the time, which it certainly will, will prove not to be. So this is an interesting thing to keep an eye on because uh, again, it's new and we're learning more about it every year as, as every player takes this test. And it's not just for quarterbacks either. Trenton McDuffie, the the, the uh, rookie safety for the Chiefs, he tested the highest of, of anyone on this test for this most recent draft class. He just won a Super Bowl, not saying that the reason he won a Super Bowl was because of his score on this test. But you could see how it's also important for safeties who are keeping an eye on all of the offensive weapons. They're keeping an eye on the receivers. They're keeping an eye on the running backs, the tight ends, perhaps even a mobile quarterback. So... This does seem to be a little more translatable to the game than some of these other tests, non-physical tests, Evan. But you're right. There, there is still a, a lot of time before this reaches um, anything more than just a small sample at this point. Yeah, I just would caution people not to jump to conclusions or use this test as the end-all, be-all to 
you know, affirm whatever confirmation bias I guess you have for for a quarterback or, or a safety yeah. or a linebacker or, or whoever you're looking at. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings, please download, rate, subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Five stars are, of course, appreciated as always. Well, there is a quarterback, Mark, that has, I think, no um, disassociation with cognitive ability. And that has been Tom Brady because he has been he has literally been the poster boy for physical underachiever and yet on the football field, absolute overachiever. And I mean, he's the guy that everyone was is hoping that Brock Purdy can be like he's just the classic guy who is, you know, late round pick. Everyone overlooked him and he went on to become the greatest football player that we've ever seen. However, Mike Florio last week kind of alluded to the fact that Tom Brady sometimes doesn't always mean what he says, or of course, as most people do tend to change their mind, such as when he did last year. Now, I don't want to rehash everything that we said about this Mark, but Mike <laughs> Florio, along with some other others have not only alluded to the fact that Tom Brady might not be done with football, but that if he wasn't done with football, that the location for him to be in would be San Francisco. That wasn't an unnovel idea before he retired, but after he retired, Mark, of course, we've sort of written everything off. I look, you know, you know how I feel about this. I don't think the door is a hundred percent closed. I think there's maybe a like a toe kind of cracked in there. And <laughs> if there's one team that's going to burst down the door and be able to get this 45-year-old going on 46 back onto the field and onto a winning team, might just be the team he grew up rooting for. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, if he does come back, I would have the Niners you know, high on you know the list of teams that he would come back for. Uh, I just don't think it's likely at all that he does come back. Um, I know that, you know, your, your hot take throughout the off season, early off season up to this point has been, Hey, Tom Brady, you never know. And, and if it does happen, you can victory lap the hell out of it. But, uh, I'm not sure just because there's a, a little scuttlebutt from Mike Florio, who, who kind of seems to dabble in these sorts of rumors pretty often. I don't think it matters all that much. I, this doesn't really change my opinion at all. Um, I'm curious though, Evan, I think we both agreed that the, the, the answer for the 49ers quarterback position this off season was either just based on the way that the free agent market was set up and what the Niners can do monetarily. It seemed like it was Tom Brady for a one year deal or stick with what you got. And maybe you sign a, a veteran guy to be your third stringer or whatever. I think we we both agree that those were the two paths, Tom Brady or stick with what you have. You're not getting an Aaron Rodgers. You're not getting Derek Carr. Niner fans, I'm sorry, you're not getting Lamar Jackson. Like, like that, that's not happening. It seemed like there were two avenues, and a one-year deal for Tom Brady seemed to make a decent amount of sense with two young quarterbacks there coming off of injuries, learn for one year behind the greatest quarterback of all time. You can make that make sense. At what point in the offseason, though, Evan, do you need an answer from Tom Brady? If this is something that Kyle Shanahan is still thinking about, if he's still wondering, 
could we get Tom Brady for one year? Like, Tom, I'm, I'm calling you up. I'm shooting you text every day. Like, at what point do the 49ers need a final definitive answer? Again, I'm still assuming the answer is a resounding no. But at what point do they just have to move on and, and go with what they got? They let Jimmy Garoppolo wait until August to make that decision. But regardless, Lance was their starter that, that season. Yes. I believe that if Tom Brady eventually wants to come play for your team uh, right now, you, well, one, I don't think it would take that long. But two, I think you kind of give him as long as he wants. Let, 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 let me ask you this, Mark. If it would be on the table, because this is the real question, like if he does come out of retirement, if it is a possibility, do you do it? Like that, that's the question. I say if it happened in the next or do you roll with Trey Lance and an in, injured Brock Purdy in the next three months, Tom Brady calls up Kyle Shanahan said, Hey, let's ride. I want to be year. a 49er. Then. Yeah. But if it happens in late July, when the team is in training camp, I don't know. At, at that point, Trey Lance has gone through OTAs, has, has, has taken every single first-team rep. He's He started training camp. Who knows where Brock Purdy is at that point? Maybe they see something they love out of Trey Lance. I'm not so sure. I do think the timing here matters just a little bit. This conversation is probably meaningless anyway because I don't think it's going to happen. But I do think that the timing matters here. And I know maybe Tom Brady doesn't need a ton of time to get ready for you know his 30th season in the NFL, 22nd season or whatever it is. Uh, but I, I <laughs> but I do think Tom is also the, the kind of guy who would want to go into a season with an offseason getting to know his receivers and getting to know his team. So I get, you know, this conversation probably it will prove to be moot either because he won't come back or if he decides to come back, it will be sooner as opposed to later. Uh, because you get the sense he would want to be training with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and head out to Tennessee and and work with George Kittle or, or whatever it is. Uh, that would probably be my guess. But if for whatever reason it is pushed back and there's still a decision looming, I think there comes a time probably in late July, maybe early August, where Kyle Shanahan just says, all right, Tom, I can't wait anymore. We're going with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. I'm sorry. Yes, I, I, I think that's reasonable, but I also think that, and look, the Tom Brady we saw this past year was not the Tom Brady even from the year prior. Like, he has taken a steep decline as far as his play, so you'd have to weigh that as well. I just think that unless you feel confident that Trey Lance is going to take the next step and it's going to be a big step, you got to keep everything on the table including a 46-year-old as your starting quarterback. Because <laughs> even though we feel like the 49ers have been very successful by all standards, three out of the last four years, NFC title game, there is going to be a pressure to win next season. If they do not win next year, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. could be Brock Purdy. could be Trey Lance. could be you, Mark. If they don't win next year, there's going to be hell to pay. And I think Kyle Shanahan knows that. Even though he is, he's set, you know, he, he feels confident. It's not like he's going to get fired or anything. But where there is smoke, there is fire as far as this report is concerned, I believe. 
And if Tom Brady really decides that he wants to do this, then I think he's kind of got his pick of the litter. I, I like again, it's a small, narrow window that we're trying to thread here, or needle we're trying to thread here. But all I'm saying is don't keep it off the table. Like, okay, we have we have the question at the bottom. I know we don't have a ton of time here, but the question at the bottom is, is this you know the best conspiracy theory of the offseason? I would say yes. I don't know what else would be up there. Uh, I was going to ask you, uh, so, okay, let's, let's assume the 49ers swing and miss on Tom Brady for whatever reason. He he doesn't come out of retirement or he does yep. and he goes somewhere else, whatever the case is. Uh, the other NFL or the other quarterback news of the week, Carson Wentz released by the commanders. He's coming to San Francisco. What do you think, Evan? Niners need Carson Wentz as their third string quarterback. I don't know if the 49ers need Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback, but I don't know if Trey Lance wouldn't mind another North Dakota State Bison being in the quarterback room <laughs> along with him. Now, hey, there was a Easton stick while they're yeah, there. It. I was going to say there, there was a gap between the two, but hey, Carson Wentz walked so that Trey Lance could run. If we're really talking about <laughs> FCS quarterbacks, Carson Wentz was one of the first, if not the first, he was definitely the highest selected FCS quarterback um, that I can remember. And Trey Lance, as a result, is kind of getting him in the benefit of the doubt, considering he only had one real collegiate year. Uh, meanwhile, Carson Wentz, I believe, was two years as the starter at NDSU, uh, two national championships, neither here nor there. But Trey Lance, uh, I don't know if he'd be so opposed. Get that bison back in there, Mark. Yeah, no, I am so far out on that. Everywhere Carson Wentz has gone, he's proven not only he's a bad quarterback, but but bad situations, bad locker room environments have followed him. I'm not necessarily blaming it on him, but it's kind of been three teams in a yes, row. You are. The the end the end. Yes, you are. Okay, I am. I'm blaming it on Carson Wentz. The end of his Eagles tenure, the disaster in Indianapolis in this most recent year in the with Washington with, with the Commanders. Now, I mean, that Commanders team was probably going to be a dumpster fire regardless. Uh, but I could not be further out on Carson Wentz, even if he accepts the veteran minimum and is willing to be the Niners' third-string quarterback. No thank you. Go get a third-stringer somewhere else. The Niners should not go after Carson Wentz. I'm out on that. Yeah, from all the reports, there's been a lot more off-the-field issues with Carson Wentz than even on the field, and that's pretty hard to deal with considering he's a turnover-prone quarterback that will give the ball to the other team more often than not. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I don't want Carson Wentz uh, you know, jamming his uh, political, religious, other views down the throats of his teammates in an already progressive area. Uh, I don't think he would be welcome in San Francisco personally. And he's got the label of not just a loser, but, but almost a little parasitic kind of quality to him at this point. So I, I think that, yeah, he would love to be in San Francisco would allow him to rewrite his image and he probably wouldn't do too much and would be allowed to then, flock and you know fly to wherever other location he's going to then blow up but no I, i'm all the way to hell out on carson wentz being in san francisco and uh honestly I, I don't think he should be a starting quarterback anywhere in the nfl next year at least not for a team that wants to win absolutely not yeah if your goal is to tank go out and get carson wentz and let him start 10 games because uh, he will win no more than two of those 10 uh the other thing I, I think if if the niners are going out and getting a veteran quarterback evan to be their third stringer don't get a guy with a gigantic injury history. 
if if you happen to get to a third string quarterback, your option beyond the third string quarterback is Josh Johnson level. So you want to make sure that your third string quarterback, if you get to him, can stay healthy for the rest of that season. Carson Wentz has not shown an ability to do that. So if you're going to get a veteran, make sure it's a vet- veteran who, of course, probably not very good because that's who the market is for third string quarterbacks, but at least someone who has stayed relatively healthy in his career, and that is not Carson Wentz. Uh, put this in the cap mark. The 49ers will draft a quarterback this year, and we can dig into oh, who you. potentially in the next episode on Thursday. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the 415ers. Appreciate you, as always, tuning in. Appreciate you, Mark. We will come to you on Thursday for your uh, NFL free agent preview episode, also potentially looking at some of the combine guys. There's a lot. Even in the offseason, the NFL never sleeps, probably more so, honestly, than any sport, even with all the you know melodrama that surrounds the NBA and some of the crazy contracts that are handed out in the MLB. Uh, the NFL does not sleep, and neither do the 415ers, Mark. So I'm looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, Combine, this coming weekend, get ready. We're about to see some players you've never heard of jump up draft boards because they uh, did a shuttle cone really quickly. Get ready for it, Evan. I'm locked in. You you want to run the 40 with me, Mark? <laughs> You'll probably beat me, but I'm down. Yeah, well, I'd pull both hammies probably in the, in the process, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, we, we, we may or may not put together something, uh, maybe our own mini 415ers Combine. <laughs> TBD. I'd love to take the S2 cognition test to see how slow my brain actually is. Uh, But we we, we will talk to you next time. Appreciate y'all tuning in. You've been listening to the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network.